Welcome to another episode of Wheel Adventures. This is episode 13, Treading Lightly on the Land. And I'm here with my wife, Ringe, and we're going to play for you an interview that I had recently with my friend Brent Baker, who owns an overlanding company, sells gear down in Bend, and it's called Oregon Adventure Trucks. And the interview was about his conservation efforts with the organization known as Tread Lightly, and he created another organization called Public Land Stewards, and he's going to tell us about his cleanup efforts in Central Oregon for the areas that uh, some of us travel in and have adventures in around Central Oregon, and I hope you enjoy the interview. Hello, and we are today in Bend, Oregon, with Brent Baker of Oregon Adventure Trucks at his office. And uh, I'm also here with his dog, Ed, who is a beautiful Burmese mountain dog. He's a bear. He's a bear. <laughs> and he breathes loudly. So we're just... We we're apologize him... in advance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, so so you'll, you'll be hearing Ed will be contributing his part as well while we're having a discussion but uh, I've known Brent since oh gosh it's been f four years five years when we uh, we first met and you were working for Earth Cruiser yeah and 2017 yeah, yeah yeah and you started the Oregon Adventure Trucks with uh, tell people about the lines that you carry we'll do another by the way we're going to do another episode that's going to focus on some of the awesome uh, equipment that he sells for overlanding. Uh, he's got a, a, a retail space now that has a great selection of stuff here in Bend and uh, at his office, and he does the installation of the, the AT uh, toppers. And uh, uh, so tell us a little bit about about that before we get into the, the um, you know, the, the Tread Lightly. Yeah, um, so quickly, yeah, I started Oregon AT. I just um, really wanted to connect more with the community and, and help encourage people to get out there and explore for that whole experience. You know, when you get out, the de-stress that happens, like leaving everything behind. And a lot of people only have a chance to do that in the weekends. So um, having something that is, you know, a simplistic unit that kind of, you know, sits on a vehicle is just a really easy way to you know, stop at a grocery store and just kind of go out and get stuff. So we started carrying the AT Overland uh, toppers. So they're lightweight units that fit on the back of your trucks. Um, that led us into realizing that we needed to start carrying some of the gear that went along with the great foundation of these of these toppers that we had. So we got into uh, National Luna products as far as their fridges. We do the National Luna power systems. Um, they're reliable. They were designed in Africa to take medical supplies to the tribes that are out there. So we wanted something that was going to be reliable, a well-known brand, do the job, but also kind of was fit for purpose for how people, uh, how we, how we knew that people wanted to travel around here out on public land. So, um, yeah, we carry, uh, pretty much all of that stuff. And then, uh, we started offering, uh, courses because we know that gear only takes you so far. Uh, your skill set is obviously a, necessity and knowing how to use that gear, keeping yourself, your, your, uh, your passengers and your vehicle safe, 
you know, getting out is one thing, but you always need to probably get back home. So um, we started offering courses on that. And then we really dove deep into uh, uh, public land stewardship, which is, I know, kind of the main topic that we wanted to discuss today. And that is uh, that is about, you know, being responsible, following, you know, proper off-roading principles and being good stewards of the land that we that we like to recreate on. I kind of see that there's 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 two types of people that go out there. There are the ones that want the challenge. You know, they're they're kind of like the militant, you know, wanting to be able to say that, hey, we completed that trail or, you know, I climbed that hill. Um, and then there's those out there that just love the adventure, that just yeah. want to – it's the curiosity that kind of captures them, and they just want to explore, like, well, I wonder what is over that hill or where is the next, you know, remote – you know, hidden gem campsite that I can find. Um, and they, they dive more into the travel aspect of it. But I think the, I think what, what is without a doubt is that this type of travel, regardless of what the purpose is you're getting out for is becoming much more popular. So when you get more and more vehicles out there and more and more, um, people taking different types of vehicles into these spaces, um, and things like Google Maps and all these navigation tools that you can get, you know, right easily on your phone, on your phone yeah. um, it can get people into pretty precarious situations. And in a lot of cases, they don't really understand um, how to be best stewards of the land and what they should be doing, and what they shouldn't be doing. You know, just because Google Maps tells you to go up over this hill because they say it's a road and, you know, you're in a toyota avalon and you're going to completely tear it to pieces and your vehicle doesn't mean that you know when you get up there and, and understand i don't think this is where i should be it's okay to you know turn around and just you know and and kind of follow your gut in some in some cases but yeah you don't if you haven't had uh, an awful lot of experience in uh, going off-road sometimes you don't know what you don't know and uh, i remember once when we were in in Baja going to a, a hot springs area and we were on this horrendously like eroded road with uh, with ruts and rocks and and, I, and we were in a four-wheel drive um, 3500 with a uh, northern light truck camper which is by the way not the best off-road situation when you have a dually and, and a truck camper that is not made for negotiating that but we come around a corner and there's a whole family in a Toyota Corolla, like crawling slowly, but they made, they made it out. And they, they said, yeah, we do this all the time. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you can get through, but you can't always count on it, right? And you don't want to leave your, uh, your rig littering the, uh, the, the terrain in, in, in pieces. So. Yeah. Well, and, and also, you know, I think because there's more, more of us getting out on these public lands, we're starting to recognize the misuse that takes place on them. Yeah. So um, one, uh, one thing that I definitely want to bring up is uh, an organization that we started here back in the beginning of 2022, uh, Public Land Stewards out of Bend, Oregon. And that is our, our nonprofit that we, uh, myself and two other, two other guys, um, recognize that there needed to be more organization around helping clean up some of the areas on public land because we were noticing it's not just the you know campers out there leaving beer cans or whatever it's you know unfortunately especially you know days after the pandemic 
um, there's people that are living out of, off the public land and there's the ones that keep their areas clean and, you know, just kind of you roll up on them and they just look like they're out there camping, but they actually call that home. And then there's other ones that unfortunately probably have some mental issues that, um, that you know, is going to take a lot more of, you know, effort to try to, uh, to, to try to get them turned around in the right direction. But um, they have a tendency to kind of really leave giant messes out there um, and... Uh, out towards China Hat is yeah. one area that I've noticed. There's a lot of that. Yeah, it's it, outside it's, of town. Most most areas are like out, like right on the outskirts of like you know what would be the city limits and stuff. But I mean, we've even we've even seen uh, contractors take loads of uh, loads of debris or something instead of paying the dump fees at the landfill, they'll go out onto public lands and you'll you'll come up on trash piles that are two stories high. Um, I mean, it is absolutely incredible the amount of misuse that happens um, right outside, you know, right in our backyard on public land that uh, has become a real problem. And the, the Forest Service, uh, BLM agents, they've all contacted us and basically throwing their hands up in there and saying, like, we need help. Like, we don't know what to do. We don't have the staffing. We don't have the funds. We don't have the, the a way to really take care of this. So we started PLS Bend mainly because we knew that it was going to take human effort to solve a human problem. And we really wanted to, uh, you know, tap into our community here in Central Oregon and say, hey, let's, let's, do whatever we can to try to keep our public land accessible because the agencies were just going to shut them down. They're going to gate them off. They were going to put rocks in front of certain roads and that hurts every recreation, not just overlanding. I didn't realize that. Yeah. And, um, so we, we said, well, let's do something about this so that these lands stay accessible. So, um, so yeah, so we, uh, we started doing cleanups and, uh, we were very humbled on our very first one. It was March of last year, so about a year ago. Um, we had over 350 volunteers come out from Central Oregon, and we took uh, an absolute unbelievable amount of, of trash and debris off the, off the lands. How did you reach out to that many people? Brian? So we started a website. Um, an Instagram page was a good way, but just via word of mouth, and we had a really – easy way people could sign up to come out to the events. We, we provide free food. Um, uh, Boneyard sponsored the beer. So they brought out beer after the event that people could, you know, have, I think the first event we, um, uh, I think it was a sub shop that, you know, that helped us out and brought subs out and made subs for everybody. But we just tried to be as organized as possible. We followed the guidelines of the Deschutes National Forest. Um, we had rangers out there. We had law enforcement out there in case they're, you know, we try not to approach or do anything close to um, habited campsites because we don't want any any problems. Um, but the abandoned campsites, things like that. But what we also found was a lot of people that are living out there and living out there respectfully ended up coming out and helping out with our with our cleanup events. That's great. Yeah. That's great. So um, it. What took a lot of effort was honestly just the logistics on how do we coordinate uh, coordinate everything. Um, and we got really good at it, and we, we really understood it. So then Onyx hit us up, and Onyx, uh, Onyx is the off-road app. Yep, yep. So Onyx off, myself. Yeah. yeah, Onyx Off-Road contacted us and said, said, hey, we've heard 
some really good things coming out of Central Oregon in these cleanup events you're doing. Um, Onyx is awesome where they actually have taken a stand and they have a, an entire position in their company now that's all around public land stewardship. So they're really trying to embrace um, accessibility to public land and keeping that public land accessible. Um, and they wanted to talk to us on, hey, how can we help other groups around the country figure out the, the recipe to do what you guys did with, with PLS here in, uh, in Bend, Oregon? And um, we helped them write up a, a whole checklist. So now if you go to Onyx or if you go to plsben.org's website, you can uh, go under the, um, there's a support section, and you can download this if you want to do a cleanup in your own community. You can download everything that we learned over the process of time, um, the exact steps that you need to take in order to try to organize a cleanup of your own. Um, out of the four cleanups we did last year, out of the four cleanups we did last year, uh, we took almost 350,000 pounds of trash out of the forest. And our cleanups were only... Uh, How did you transport that up? <laughs> so luckily, China Hat's close to the not, not landfill. Um, that was the... Everything ended up going to the landfill. But we had volunteers bring dump trucks. We had volunteers filling the back of their own personal trucks. We had... We worked with uh, local trash companies to drop dumpsters off in, in areas that we knew were going to be, you know, um, you know, hot spots for trash to get dumped. Were um, there RVs like trailers that were abandoned and we, just trashed that you needed oh, yeah. to pull so, out? So we did work with a lot of tow companies locally um, and get some heavy equipment out there. Uh, now there's different permits that you need to use or get from the from the National Forest for those, but we were able to to get them. And yeah, we were able to remove a lot of vehicles, abandoned RVs, things like that out. Now there's a whole process behind that. And again, our benefit was that we followed the process that has to be taken. You can't just remove any vehicle out of off of public land because you don't know number one, was it used for, you know, criminal activity? Like, is it somebody's registered vehicle? There's, um, there's a lot that goes into it. So, so you first have to get it tagged. So somebody from law enforcement or, or the BLM or National Force has to tag the vehicle. Yeah. Um, that gives about two weeks for somebody to come over and claim it. If nobody claims it, then it gets re-tagged again for removal then a, an organization like us, like we would go in there, remove the vehicle, but it can't go to a scrapyard at that time. It has to go to a oh, staging area. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. It's, it, I mean, it this is the process. It has to go to a staging area, and we were able to use one of the old gravel pits that's out there, but we had to, we had to tow everything to the gravel pits, dump them off, and then... Um, then the, were they all towable? Like if they're abandoned, a lot of times some, tires are just shot. Most or we had to put on flat the trip. Yeah, because as soon as the vehicle breaks down, first thing that goes is the catalytic converter, the wheels, tires, things that people can actually tear off of them and use. Um, then they get shot to pieces. Then they get lit on fire. So, so getting vehicles off of public land is really important because there's a lot that uh, can happen because of an abandoned vehicle. But so we would take them to these staging areas and then 
that information, the VIN number, would have to go through a to go through a review process at the state level. So they had to go to Salem to go through this review process. That normally took about 60 days. And if they weren't able to track any type of criminal activity or any anything that they could associate that vehicle with after 60 days, then it finally got permitted for scrap. Then we have to go back and pick them up get them to the scrapyard and take care of them. So, and that is literally the process and that's process in Oregon. I'm not sure what the process is in other States, but um, we learned very quickly. You just can't rip vehicles off because they're abandoned, even though you're pretty sure that, you know, it's not, nobody's going to be upset about it. But um, following the rules was one of our biggest, uh, biggest areas of success because then we got the backing from, the national forest to do what we did. Then we got BLM to contact us and, and start allowing us to, um, seeing the good that we can provide, start allowing us to access a lot more of the public lands, uh, where they, where they have issues and start doing some cleanups. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the whole issue of fire comes up fairly regularly on the local TV station, um, that, you know, these camps, they'll, they'll catch on fire. And uh, there was one, just like a week or so ago mm-hmm. uh, in National Forest lands somewhere near Redmond or Bend, I think it might have been up in Redmond, Yeah, that uh, could endanger more than just that vicinity. I mean, that can spread into a whole other nightmare. Yeah. I mean, luckily we're in the winter right now, but the fire danger gets really intense come, you know, as you know, June through October. So... Um, yeah, we have to be very careful on when we go out, like if we're cutting, I mean, sometimes abandoned campers, we have to, you know, use sawzaws, use cutting tools to basically cut them apart because we have to, that's the only way we can move them to get them into dump trailers and stuff. I mean, what we found out mm-hmm. is that doing these cleanups, what we're really good at is the high intensity areas that need cleaned. So Areas that normally people would walk up to and say, there's absolutely no way we can get this clean. There is just way too much stuff out here. Somehow or another, we get it done in like an hour. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. And, and it's just through through organized, concentrated work um, that we just got really good at. So, uh, so any um, come across any bodies and uh, uh, <laughs> thankfully not i don't think that would be fun uh plenty of unfortunately plenty of like we we like we call them the sharps so the needles the knives things like that oh yeah that's scary um, stuff. Yeah. we have to we're actually one of our guys is getting certified for biohazard right now and that was actually a that was a required certificate that one of us had to have or somebody with our group had to have in order to um, do cleanups on BLM land as when they come up on anything that's considered a hazardous material that yeah. could be human waste that could be coolant yeah. from a vehicle like anything like that um, in order to to legally be able to remove that off of that premises you have to have this hazardous waste certification interesting that's probably a good idea but that brings up a, a question that I ha- I've had in my mind. You know, a lot of these camps that you see are, you know, if they're in an RV, they're not moving the RV. The black tank, the sewer tank, mm-hmm. uh, isn't like when I've I've done a lot of RVing and I have a black tank that I rarely use in the sportsmobile. But you got to take it somewhere to a facility, to a dump station, to dump it. They're not doing that, I assume, if their rig isn't isn't 
Mobile. Mobile. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Um, and uh, so, what in general, what you're finding? I mean, without getting into too gross details, what are what are people doing to do their business in these camps that are out there? Because so I stay away from them. Yeah. As much so as from I can. from the camps perspective, and again, I don't I don't want to I don't want to. Um, point fingers at any one group saying that, hey, this is the reason that our public lands are being misused, because it does come from wherever. I'm sure but, it's a spectrum, yeah, across, but, like everything. But uh, in, in regards to the, to the residents that, you know, have, have found public lands their home, typically if there's a piece of plywood lying somewhere close to proximity of a camp, there's a, you have a pretty sure bet that there's probably some human waste underneath there. Um, so they're, what we're finding is that, you know, they're, they're digging holes or they're, or they're, um, you're throwing things into a hole and then they use, uh, you know, some type of covering over top of it. Um, that's typically what we find at least. Okay. Interesting. Huh. And how are they accessing, I mean, not, not to get into details about how to uh, live off grid illegally and, or semi-legally in, in national forest land, but. How are people like this uh, accessing water? Are you finding like wa- large water tanks that are out there, or are they just hauling smaller um, amounts into? It, it's all over. Some yeah. some places you see bottles. Um, other places they have large water tanks that you know that they're they're, they're getting water from and things. Um, it's yeah, that's really across the board. I think um, I think you know people are going to do what they need to do to to survive and to live and. Um, it is unfortunate for their circumstance, and I and I and I do feel bad about it. But there is a level of, you know, being respectful for where you are that we all have to take ownership in, and um, and unfortunately, there's an educational piece with that. Is some of the some of the residents that that are out there, they don't um, they don't understand. But they're, they're you know when you when you're living out in the woods, there's no services, you know? So, sure. so that's the, that's the downside of that. And a lot like, of these places are quite a, quite a ways from town in terms of walking distance. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so removing your waste, you know, taking it somewhere, things like that just isn't something that comes, you know, comes easy. So, um, I, some people are really good about it. Some people, you know, bag their own trash, wait till it fills up and then they take truckloads of it to the dump or to wherever. But, um, I would say, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the residents uh, just have a tendency to try to, you know, they they might bag it, but they just leave it outside, and then animals get into it, and then the wind hits it, and it ends up being all over the place. So, oh, geez. So yeah. So one of the hardest things about our cleanups, honestly, the the glamorous stuff is the removal of the RVs and the cars, and you know the, you know the 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 large campsites. But the true heroes are those um, within our, you know, that volunteer with us that pick up all the micro trash, pick up the, the shotgun shells, you know, from people mm-hmm. shooting out there or mm-hmm. whatever. Cause that's the stuff that is just so difficult to try to, to try to get, get all up. I mean, you can clean a whole area and then when you look down in the dirt, you still see a bunch of, you know, a bunch of things. And, and, um, and it's the, it's, it's those who kind of go and just kind of pick through and kind of pick up what we call the micro trash that, that, um, Honestly, I have probably the most respect for because it's the hardest job. Yeah, yeah. It's hard on the back. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 
So how many how many um, other cleanups with PLS have you have you done locally? So we we did four last year, four large scale events last year, um, and then we've done a handful of smaller uh, smaller. I don't want to call them events, but we did a handful of smaller outings. Let's say um, we started having uh, once word got out about our group and what we were doing. Um, and again, we're a hundred percent volunteer oriented. So, you know, I obviously run this shop and I do PLS on the side when I can. Um, but we had, we had groups reaching out to us that said, Hey, they found some trash here. Or, hey, we, you know, is there any way we can clean up this area here? Um, so we started doing like small scale, you know, cleanups where we'll go out and, uh, you know, it, most recently, we just had the local hiking group that came across a, an abandoned camp, and they reached out to us and said, hey, we would love to clean this up, but we just don't have the resources to take the trash anywhere. So two of us went out with a dump trailer, met with their whole hiking group one day, and honestly, within an hour and a half, we had the entire camp cleaned up. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, so we started doing that. So this year, uh, we are hosting, um, we're hosting three uh, like large scale cleanup events. Um, one's going to be in March. We have a, or I'm sorry, one's going to be in April. I believe it's April the 8th, uh, Saturday, April the 8th. Uh, the next one's going to be on Saturday, June 10th. And then we're going to do Saturday, August 12th, I believe is the date. So those are the dates of our three large scale events. Uh, then what areas are they, those going to take place? Um, in? I, the first, the first event in April will definitely be down China Hat again, um, and then uh, we're actually going to expand uh, where we uh, where we are reach a little bit. Um, I think the next one there's a there's an area down by Lapine that has become really bad, and the National Forest has talked to us about you know closures and things. So we're we want to get down there and try to clean that area up before anything's done. Um, and then uh, there's uh, we're, we're probably going to be looking at um, somewhere around the you know Horse Ridge Horse uh, you know Horse Ridge area out east as, of town yeah out yeah. east of town is like another event um, or maybe up into Redmond uh, I think we want to stretch up to there's some areas up around uh, Crooked River Ranch uh, uh, Tethero Crossing that that are also um, kind of hot spots for things so mm -hmm. we might look in some of those areas but um, but anyway so we have these large-scale events and then we also are going to conduct um, multiple uh, cleanup caravans this year so where it's going to be more I don't want to say spontaneous but smaller scale cleanups that we only are going to take maybe a group of 15 or 20 out with a dump trailer or two that can get to um, more remote areas that require that require cleanup services or you know uh, it's going to be a not as big of an effort as like what we find off a of china hat but something that's still going to take a decent amount of people where they can clean up maybe two or three areas that are spread out rather than something that's just so concentrated. So is this like a route that you're going to do, like an off-road route? I assume since it's a dump trailer, you can't do anything that's very technical. But Correct. Um, is it going to be like going out for a couple of days and cleaning up, camping, Going to the next spot, cleaning, camping. It won't so be won't be a couple of days. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, we're just gonna do an over, just a night or a day. Thing. Just a day. Okay. Yeah, but okay. but the main thing is that you know, 
it's really hard to get, you know, when you have a volunteer, when you have a large event cleanup with you have 300, you know, or so volunteers, it's hard to spread them out so far to get to, you know, sites that cover more than like a 10 mile radius. So that's, and that's the intensity stuff. So China Hat's a perfect spot for those type of events because you can keep 300 people busy easily for four hours of an event, um, you know, in that, in just a 10 mile radius of, of China Hat. Well, it doesn't really work that well when you're, you know, going site to site that might be 10 miles apart or 20 miles apart um, when you kind of get out to more remote areas on BLM or National Forest. So yeah. these caravan cleanup, um, at, you know, groups are going to be a lot more mobile that they can get to these smaller things, but they might only clean up three sites and fill two dump trailers to take back to the landfill. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still needed. It's still, it's still uh, taking a lot of debris and trash and things like that off of public land so that we can kind of help help uh, clean up a broader area. Yeah. So has this, uh, have you heard about other uh, groups that are uh, picking up the mantle with this in other areas of the country and in um, the West that are yeah. doing the same thing? And have you been in touch with them? Yeah. So um, if you are interested in, you know, doing a cleanup or organizing uh, cleanups in your area, uh, uh, please contact us. We've, um, uh, send us an email. It's info at plsbend.org. Um, but we've had a group, uh, spawn off of ours. That's out of Newport now. So over, over Newport, Oregon, um, uh, the Umatilla out of Hermiston. There's, there's a guy who contacted us that wanted to do something similar in the blue mountains. So, uh, that group is going, um, there's another group in Washington and then one down in Klamath that, uh, Klamath Falls that, that, uh, that all reached out to us and now are starting to kind of coordinate some of their own cleanups. So this is really spread. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, localized right now, but, um, ideally, you know, we don't own public land. We didn't want to register it or trademark it or do anything else like that. We want to encourage anybody, if you want to be a public land steward and start, you know, um, organizing, um, ways to kind of keep your public lands accessible and doing it through cleanups is a really good way where you just got to spend some sweat equity, get some money for dump fees, things like that. Um, but utilize the public land steward's name, utilize our resources a little bit. Um, you know, we're happy to help because we really want to see this, uh, this type of community take on across the country so that, you know, the, the, the public land that we have out there stays accessible for, you know, for all those who love to get out and enjoy it. Yeah, when I've been traveling, like when I go over to the coast and I'm just driving pavement, uh, a lot of times I'll see a dirt road that'll have have a gate across it. And I know a lot of those are, you know, they're owned by Weyerhaeuser and uh, Way, Weyhauser, the Where, Weyerhaeuser. Weyerhaeuser, the, the logging company and other logging companies, they close it off because they own that land and it's, I guess it's a private road. But I've seen a lot that seem to be just public roads that are are closed off mm-hmm. and uh, to us. And yeah, yeah, it it's it starts to make the world a lot smaller in that way. And our options are closed off. Yeah, and 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 like I said before, it's not just going to hurt us that travel roads and vehicles. It's going to hurt all of us that travel 
these roads to get to trailheads, to get to campsites and, you know, that, mm. that are out on public land. Um, you know, it, it's everybody's going to lose in this situation. So, uh, again, it's going to Hunters, take, mountain bikers, gravel yeah. riders, yeah. you name it, yeah. hikers. Yeah. We, we have to do our part, um, and we have to also teach the correct principles. Tread Lightly is is one of the groups that um, uh, I'm actually a, a, a certified a certified trainer for Tread Lightly as well. But uh, that that talks about principles used for off road travel for things like this, and it covers all off road travel: ATVs, dirt bikes, four wheel drive vehicles, snowmobiles. Um, but if you're not familiar with Tread Lightly and you do drive off road. Um, again, if you're only driving out for a recreation to hit a trailhead or something, still follow, look at Tread Lightly Principles. It's about staying on the trail. It's about, you know, um, not disrupting the land that's around you because uh, all this stuff matters. All this stuff um, starts, you know, creating a massive impact in these, in the, uh, you know, to the environment in these areas. And um, it, it all comes to a head at, at one point. So we have to do our best to prevent any of this from happening, too. And to help others learn about the right way to do it is um, is also going to be something that's going to help keep these lands open for for longer amounts of time. How do you get certified in the? the uh... You can do it right through their website. So okay. yeah, I, I, it, it does come with a fee. It's not very much, but you can become a a certified trainer or just become certified in Tread Lightly principles um, at Tread Lightly. I think it's treadlightly.org. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, yeah, it's an easy process to do. You know, when we were uh, talking earlier before we started the podcast episode, uh, you were telling me that you're going to be doing bonfires and and beverages, yep. uh, kind of like rigs and coffee, which kind of fizzled around here. Uh, I was sorry to see that go. But that, to me, is, a, is an excellent way to, uh, to, to network about this and educate about it. And you, you also said you were going to have programs uh, with in conjunction with that or mm-hmm. separate from it? No, it's going to be in conjunction. So we're going to do, uh, we're starting here in March, but uh, one Thursday out of every month, we're going to do bonfires and beverages. And uh, yeah, the whole point is to try to bring people from, from the community here, um, talk about certain topics potentially, have certain things going on, um, but mainly just create an atmosphere where people can connect and, you know, find new friends, share recreational activities together, things like that. But uh, we just wanted to be kind of be like, a, you know, ground zero for some of that stuff. I think it's brilliant. I worked uh, <clears throat> back in the um, late 70s, early 80s, and then again in the early 2000s. I worked for a, a mountaineering shop that's fairly famous in Boulder, Colorado, called Neptune Mountaineering. And it, it had a lot of square footage, had a lot of area. He Every Thursday, I think it was every other Thursday, we had to clear out all the tents that were set up in the tent, tent room, the tent shell room, take them all down, and make space to bring the, uh, the he had a big screen down. And they would have people come in from, uh, you know, that has done high altitude mountaineering expeditions or traveling to the South Pole because there's a lot of like hardcore uh, expeditionary climbers and so forth that lived in in Boulder, Colorado and that place would fill up and Mm -hmm. they'd have popcorn and some 
legal beverages and it would it was just a great way to bring people together and this reminds me of that that's it's the same idea to to bring this into fruition for your business and for things beyond your business uh, in the same way that you're you're uh, doing the uh, PLS and and tread lightly it's 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 more than a business right yeah. <laughs> it's 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 the ability to to take to receive and to, to give. Yeah. Well, the reason I started the business was to connect with the community. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't just mm-hmm. to sell gear and to make a living. It truly was to connect with others that have a passion um, around this same thing and, and seeing those who wanted to do it but just maybe didn't feel as comfortable in doing it to kind of encourage them to get out there or, um, you know, help them get out there. So, yeah, the, the bonfire and beverages was just something that we knew we were going to do something with. Um, we didn't know what to name it, so we just kind of came up with that name. But I think it's brilliant. But it's uh, <laughs> it's it's going to be it's going to be really fun, and hopefully uh, every every one there's something for somebody to learn. We're going to do a knot tying one. Where we're going to have a, a guy who does high ropes courses come in and teach different types of knots that are most commonly used when you go out camping and stuff. Oh, um, awesome! So there's there's a lot of stuff, and then we're actually going to end it. Um, in October is going to be our last one for the year, but we're going to uh, uh, take whomever wants to go on a, on a guided camp out. And we're actually going to camp out for the night. So, again, just trying to get more people out there, explore different areas. It's something I love to do and I love to share with others. So, um, yeah, I'm really excited about, the, about those events. That's what makes being in business, I think, fun is when you can combine it with a way to, to give back in that way and uh, feel like you're part of something. I think we all have this in, inherent need to feel like we're part of something that's bigger than just us. You know, to expand beyond the boundaries of just my needs and who I am and and go beyond that. And mm-hmm. that's what you're doing here. And it's really cool to see. Yeah. yeah. And if you want to attend an event, uh, we have all of our events listed on our website. If you just go to OregonAT.com, uh, up on the top navigation, there's literally a button that just says events, and that will take you to a page where all the dates of our events is, are listed. And even um, right now, what the what we think the topics are going to be for each event. Um, so I encourage uh, everybody to come on out, have some free food and beer, and, uh, and, and learn something. Awesome. Yeah, I'm looking forward to doing that. So like I said, I, I was really, uh, I was kind of bummed when uh, Riggs & Coffee uh, fizzled, and then uh, Spoken Moto did something for once or twice, I think, on a Sunday mm-hmm. that uh, people did. So it's it's nice to connect with other people. Uh, I really enjoy seeing other people's rigs and how they have set them up and uh, talk with them about where they've been and where they want to go and share information about routes. And it's, uh, yeah. Well, I think we uh, we... We're going to wrap up this episode, but there's an awful lot more to talk about. Brent told me that he is—he's uh, getting into uh, rally racing, which is something <laughs> I used to do, and so we could do another episode on that. There are so many cool things that uh, I haven't—I haven't really been paying attention to the, the gear that's come out recently. And there's a lot of stuff in the shop. I was like kid in the candy shop while he was on the phone when I came in to the retail space. I'm going, ooh. Oh, I want to know more about this. So we're gonna do uh, we're gonna do a gear episode, and um, possibly uh, roll that in 
uh, with with the AT uh, campers, and uh, so we'll we'll be looking forward to doing that in another episode. So thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks for your time, Brent. Yeah, and, thank you, Mark. Uh, it's always a pleasure. And uh, and the listeners out there, thanks for joining us. And join us next time. Yeah, and we put Ed to sleep. Ed's finally asleep, and he's no longer panting. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's our trash talk with Brent and Edward the dog. Edward contributed. He 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 was breathing some life into the conversation. <laughs> While, uh, additional life additional life uh, <laughs> with his uh, with his breathing and so essentially what we're discussing here is about the ethic of how we treat our land and what we can do not only in the course of the process of going out and conducting ourselves and how we how we camp and where we go and how we go there but uh, and that would fall under the auspices of the tread lightly about just what we're doing as we're traveling the public land stewards that he's organized locally and is expanding nationally and regionally as well uh, that is something that pertains to actively going out with individuals or groups of individuals and doing the cleanup work that others haven't done either from people that are living on public lands illegally for long periods of time and leaving a mess so really it comes down to our desire to travel and contain the beauty that we find out there within the context of of just keeping it beautiful and you and I have traveled to places where frequently we will go in the bushes or maybe not even very far off from our camp and we'll find places where other people have camped and they have been less than conscientious about doing their business you know leaving leaving feces and toilet paper around for other people it's unsanitary it's unsightly i'm sure they're not going out to see that sort of thing so it's just a disconnect it seems like between the their behavior and what they would like to see themselves so I'm really uh, I'm impressed with Brent's energy that he has put behind this ethic of of uh, taking environmentalism and conservation beyond the uh, beyond the confines of uh, of just don't litter and uh, really expanded it in yeah. a big way. I'm just so grateful for and excited by people like him who see a need and figure out a way to step up in a very effective way it's just so admirable it's just really phenomenal that people do that and it just makes me more aware of how much of what we can take for granted in our world really works because of volunteers and 
people that do nonprofits and inspire others. And so just wanted to say we will be sure to put all the links um, in the show notes so people can check that out and perhaps be inspired by it, join something that's already in motion, or even see a need and create something of your own to be of service to help preserve our big, beautiful, and sometimes not so big and not so beautiful world. You know, you do that a lot. We just go out for walks around our house just for exercise when we're not skiing or hiking or cycling or whatever. We just go for walks in the neighborhood and you see a can there or a bottle and you pick it up and I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to carry that while I'm walking. <laughs> but you have the you have that same sort of uh, mentality that that Brent does, which is I, I have to do something. I can't just walk past this. So I'm I'm more clueless that way. Uh, I admire that you do it. <laughs> I need to be more like you when I grow up. But uh, I, I wonder if it has to do with what we accept as our sense of normalcy. Because thinking about what no, you're it's just laziness. It's just <laughs> I don't want to walk with this this no, dirty can it, it's or this broken I bottle. That and I want to put a plug in right here for the potential beauty of keeping a what is it 13 gallon trash bag stuffed in your back pocket and a and a, just a small grocery bag in your front pocket because you can use the small one for uh, small things and the big one to pick up some larger stuff but it's a great feeling to um, know that every time you go out walking, for example, in your neighborhood, you're not going to have to see that same piece of trash if you just pick it up. Yeah. And then it's done with. And, yeah, it just sits there forever. Yeah. And I, I, I really am not a fan of enabling other people's bad behavior. So I will just say, yes, there is a part of me that maybe some of you share that it's like, I don't want to have to pick up after other people. But I've also had the unfortunate experience of plastic bag blowing out of the car window as we're driving and me being horrified and yet knowing I'm on the freeway I'm not going to be able to go back and get that um, and big winds coming up and seeing your trash can lid is open and oh my god I just littered my own neighborhood so I know it can happen but what I started to say was just like what do we accept as normal and I know for me growing up in rural Alaska literally out in the bush for the first five years there's no garbage I mean, possibly you could find like some miners or gold panners, rusted pans or things like that. Maybe some old cans. Rusted cans of baked beans. <sighs> yeah, that are probably still good. And hardtack. Bam. But um, <laughs> yeah, it, it isn't, there isn't that, that kind of normalcy to it that we can really experience a lot too much of um, in more populated areas. We see that a fair amount of times here in Oregon. Um, well, per what Brent shared, but also just thinking about places we have camped and places we have gone hiking. And 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 that brings me to another thought, which is I, I understand the quandary of, as a female, you're out and you want to have a pee behind a bush and you better have a napkin. And frankly, you probably should have a, um, a Ziploc sandwich bag because that is a great way to not have a pea-covered napkin stuck in your pocket afterwards. But it's the kind of thing that you have to plan ahead for. You have to think about that. Yeah. And then you've got it. Just don't put the, the, the toilet paper in with your snack that you've put in your, 
in your right. Ziploc bag. No, yeah. <laughs> different Ziplocs. <laughs> there are two Ziplocs, yes. one for snack, one for pee, yes. pee paper. You know, the, uh, the other thing that is uh, um, just I was thinking of is Brent and I were talking is some of the standard equipment that you see on people that are doing overlanding is putting their, tra- you know, they bought a trasheroo. Um, and the trasheroo can become trash. I mean, I, our, we've gone through a couple of those. <laughs> the right. cheap ones that are on um, on Amazon, they eventually, if you leave them on the back forever, the way I seem to out in the sun, the sun gets to them and turns them into trash. But it's a good idea to use the trasheroo for trash. We use ours for like uh, extension cord for when we're plugged into a campsite and a uh, hose for filling our water tank. But there's always room in there. I always leave room for trash bags. So it's a, it's a good idea to put like trash bags in there so that it's not getting gross trash all over everything when you're uh, cleaning up your camp and you have uh, compostable, you know, gooey mm. stuff, coffee grounds and things like that. Uh, if you don't want your trash route to be trash very quickly, like within a year in these parts like ours that have a lot of solar uh, radiation, a lot of sun, I recommend getting something that's higher quality that's made out of vinyl. Like I think it's um, Blue Blue Ridge Outfitters, I think is the name of the company that, that makes. There's a few out there that are much more substantial. They're not just cheap Cordura, so they don't they don't turn into junk as quickly and then filling up the landfill with your trash containers uh, is kind of a good idea another thing that occurred to me because brent was talking about how his areas get closed down because of abuse i was thinking of a quick story here that a few years ago i did i think it was 2013 i did along with several other bike packers mountain bikers we rode the oregon the the southern half of the oregon outback route which which goes from klamath falls to the columbia gorge up uh, on the oregon northern border so it's about 300 and some odd miles we did uh more than a bit more than half of it but when we rode into silver lake little tiny town in central oregon there's a a public like a picnic area a grassy spot that they keep mowed in the town and it's it's a little town so somebody's you know somebody's got to do it and there's a porta potty there there was an ideal place with pavilions over the picnic tables place to to uh cook our breakfast and uh, uh porta potty to do our business and so we cleaned up our camp and we left and then the next day there was a mass group of it was like a group ride of literally hundreds of people came from all over the place a lot of them came from portland and over on the the west side of the cascades to do this gravel bike packing trip and some of them did it as a race see how fast they could do it other people did it as a tour but so many people camped at the silver lake area where we camped it was a complete shit show literally so the town said they they're prohibiting camping there so we've lost the ability to camp at that that uh, area that's so, so sad it that's is really yeah awful. and these are all bicyclists 
Yeah. You know, like you would consider that bike packers, mountain bikers, bicyclists have as much or more mentality about not creating an immense mess than people in, I mean, I think a lot of people will categorize uh, unrightly so people that uh, drive four-wheel drive vehicles are less environmentally uh, conscious. And I just don't think that's, you can't stereotype people like that. I'd like to add that it's not just the environmental impact that happens uh, in cases like this. It's also a cultural um, division that's created from outsiders who are coming in to enjoy the benefits of often lovely, or maybe they're not lovely, such so lovely small towns, but they are providing their generosity, their one restaurant, their porta potties, their park, and and people are leaving them trashed. I mean, that is so offensive on numerous levels to me. That's really sad. It doesn't take much to have things closed down, and likewise, it uh, you know if you're in places where the environment's really fragile, and you do something that it like I'm reminded here uh, when I used to go to Canyonlands. I didn't initially know till somebody told me, and I, I, I hadn't been going there very long before I was told by somebody that there's a type of soil called uh, cryptogamic soil that takes hundreds, it's it's like a proto-soil. So it happens in sand, and it looks kind of bubbled up, areas of sandy uh, terrain. But this... It's, a, it's an organic proto-soil that, that takes like hundreds of years and all it takes is one footstep or one motorcycle track or one um, four-wheel drive Jeep track driving off of the established route to kill that and it can't recover literally for, for hundreds, a hundred years. Mm. So it that environment doesn't look fragile but it is fragile so another good reason for staying on established routes and and not tearing up even the established routes not right. spinning tires right uh, one of the f original criticisms for allowing mountain bikes in wilderness areas because i was in the, one of the first meetings ever with the forest national forest service about with mountain bikers in Crested Butte, and this is in the very early 80s. And there was a discussion of allowing, should mountain bikes be considered, you know, wilderness vehicles? And one of the, the criticisms amongst many for allowing them in, on wilderness trails was that they, you know, they'll people by locking up their brakes on steep descents will cause erosion. Mm. And, and, also, when the trails are wet, you know, for the same reason that, that riders are asked to never ride local trails here in, in uh, the central Oregon area on trails that are muddy, because once you, once you get a linear track going, the water wants to follow that. Mm. And then the erosion follows that. So, and other drivers or riders follow that. And, yeah. yeah. So it just compounds. It's a cascade effect. So... There's a lot of cascade effects in the cascades and elsewhere. <laughs> so 
The bottom line is treat the thing you love gently mm-hmm. and treat it as your own, as part of you. And once again, I want to I wanna thank uh, Brent and his company, Oregon Adventure Trucks, and his dog, Edward, and my wife, as always, Ringe, for this episode of Treading Lightly. Thanks for joining us with Wheel Adventures, and we'll talk to you next time. And leave no trace. 